Hey there, Brambling. It's Uncle Luke here. I hope you're enjoying today. I hope you're doing something good for yourself today. Today is actually a very sunshiny, warm, beautiful spring day in Vancouver here. Um, it is about 21 degrees Celsius. Yeah, I'm a bit late posting my uh, podcast for part two of The Warrior with uh, Scott Harris here, but, you know, the, the great weather just kind of beckoned me to go for a really long walk, which I did. I think it was about, oh God, maybe four or five hours. I just decided to just walk throughout the entire city, and yeah, it was beautiful and lovely, and I, I listened to some podcasts and some relaxing music, and I even saw some butterflies and some really cool birds and uh, I actually went to a mall where I didn't buy anything. I just walked. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It was uh, it was really needed. It was really needed to go on like a self-journey, self-date, self-discovery kind of day in the sunshine. And yeah, I just really love it. So I hope you can forgive me but that's what I did. But here I am. I'm now sitting down. I'm recording the next part of uh, my conversation with Scott Harris talking about the warrior archetype. Now, just to do a quick recap of the last episode, um, Scott and I uh, just kind of let our minds and hearts be open to the warrior energy. And we kind of discuss and talk about some of the things that were hurting us at the time, one of which was the recent passing of Twitch, the uh, famous dancer from So You Think You Can Dance, as well as The Ellen Show. Very devastating, uh, that whole situation. Scott and I were going on a uh, tangent there about disappointment and how disappointment, if uh, not properly managed, uh, can potentially lead to some of the most dark and painful thoughts that we can go through. In this conversation, Scott and I are going to be talking a bit more about the shadows of the archetype. Yeah, today we are going to be going into the masochist as well as the sadist, and we are going to be talking about how they show up for us. In this conversation, I am starting to realize that I get quite vulnerable and quite personal, and um... I talk about why I believe my inner masochist shadow uh, has led me down some really dark paths in my life. I kind of go into the origin of my masochistic shadow, and you know what I would be really grateful for is uh, if anyone could, I don't know, let me know um, if the masochistic shadow is anything that they uh, relate to in a way, and yeah, I'd really love to, to hear from you guys, you know, send me a personal message or comment on any of my Instagram posts there at Lucatronosaurus Rex. I do believe that I'm going to try to make some time today to also be streaming on Twitch, so I will make a uh, a post about that. Um, come join me. It'll just be a free chat. I'll be there live. Yeah, I don't know what game I'll be playing, but that's not going to be the most important thing. I uh, would love to just uh, reach out and connect with anyone who is willing to connect with me. Anyways, um, without any further ado, I would love for us to just jump into this conversation, and yeah, I'll... Uh, I'll catch you on the other side. I did want to try to shift gears just a little bit, and I just wanted us to, to try to name the two shadows of the the warrior and try to just um, explain a little bit more about them. So we are talking a lot about the the deflated shadow. You know, what? who is the masochist? And are you willing to sh- maybe share maybe how it shows up for you? And mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I would say... Um... So the masochist is is obviously the opposite of the fullness of the warrior in the sense that he's passive. He's he's not taking action in his life and he has just difficulty making decisions. So there's a powerlessness there. Uh, what I relate to, and I'll get to that in a second, is being the doormat, the pushover, the people pleaser is a very strong part of that where basically what you're doing when you're when you're doing the whole doormat thing and being a people pleaser is you're sacrificing your own healthy warrior and your own healthy kingdom in order to please others 
because you don't want to ruffle their feathers or you don't you want to avoid confrontation. I think the masochist will do everything to avoid confrontation at the sacrifice of his own well-being. And then what tends to happen, this is something I used to do a lot when I was younger, is I would let people walk, trample Mm. all over me Mm. until finally I couldn't take it anymore and I would explode into a rage, into anger, into the sadist. Like it would just be this immediately slingshot from the low energy into the high energy. Yeah. And people be like, what's wrong with you? Because they're used to me being so pleasant and so accepting of everything. And then all of a sudden when I would lash out, they'd be like, what's wrong with Scott? Yeah. And which makes it frustrating because you realize even though they're reacting poorly, you're also reacting poorly in the sense that it's it's pent up anger and rage. Mm. The other big one is, I love when Robert Moore talks about this. It's the idea of complaining with no action. And this this thing of like the shadow warrior will only ever do and say enough to never do anything it's like it's like the person who complains about their life incessantly but yet does nothing to change it Mm -hmm. and they remain in this victim mode and i've been there many times in my life and yeah it leads to also you know i think the persistent depression and also victim mode you get kind of trapped into that like it's everyone else's fault as to why you're not succeeding in life. You know, you're blaming everybody else when really what you're lacking is, is again, that sense of your own authority to move through. So for myself, my own experience, I touched on a little bit, but uh, you know, it's just, I, I definitely have had times where I, I avoid confrontation. Even now, sometimes I catch myself in certain relationships where I take the road of not speaking up because it just seems more, it just seems easier than actually saying what's on my mind. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, is it worth it? I don't know. And it's always worth it. So I think that's where the warrior really steps into play between shadow and fullness. Mm. I think also, even though it's a bit of magician energy, I think it's it's warrior versus warrior. I think there's Mm. a bit of that warrior aspect. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Just say that one more time. What? You said warrior versus warrior? Yeah. Oh, I love when it hits a chord with me. But also the saying just works well with itself, if that makes any sense. Sorry, keep going. No, no, it's it's totally (laughs) fine. Yeah, it's again, I think worry is a little more magician because it goes back to what we talked uh, about last week, because the gateway emotion to the magician is fear. And I think worry is fear. So it is more linked to magician. But at the same time, I think there's in that within that warrior victim, there's a bit of, yeah, warrior instead of being warrior Mm -hmm. right you're dis you're very disempowered you know i think in the past what's happened for me and this is where learning these archetypes and trying to balance them out works is that for me a lot of times what happens is when my warrior goes offline usually he's overpowered by the addicted lover oh so the addicted lover will step in and then all of a sudden it's like i'm slipping up a lot more into poor habits, you know, whether that's just, um, you know, going overboard with a little bit more indulging with foods, uh, sex, mm-hmm. um, usually more so um, self-pleasing stuff would be the one for me that's more of a link to that with me. Yeah, I've really tried to find the balance with that, though, to be transparent where, because I think there's a culture right now of you shouldn't have any sexual release unless it's with a partner and it should be very not very often because it it takes your chi mm. and and i totally believe that i've i've experienced it firsthand because i've refrained for i think it was eight months and it, yeah it does provide you with more energy it can provide you with more focus and clarity in certain things however again i have a problem with depriving yourself of anything because mm-hmm. there's a punishment and a sort of Again, that's where you start to get into the slave of the white dragon and the over-discipline angle of things. So, you know, when it comes to self-pleasing for me, self-pleasure, it really has boiled down a lot to just paying attention to when it's getting out of control, paying attention to the fact that I've always been a pretty sexual person too. Like I enjoy it. So it's defining when is that unhealthy and when is that self-pleasing when is it something that you know you require and i think that completely refraining to me is it's it's goes alongside going to the gym too much doing this too much it's like anything that's deemed healthy sometimes there's no light shined onto it that's toxic because i feel like sometimes what that is that's a lot of warrior energy just really depriving your lover from 
from any kind of pleasure. And I think there's, again, it's, it's, it's viewing how that addicted lover, we'll get into this next week, how your addicted lover is showing up. But if you're going about it in a way that's healthier, let's say, well, then I think depriving yourself of it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And that's something that I'm learning. Mm. And I learned this with Alexander. It's also about having respect for your own sexual organ. It's having respect for it. Mm. You know, it's with, without sounding funny or being super graphic, but it, it is that thing where it's like, we tend to do it furiously and almost with like this intense kind of, you know, we don't respect our instrument, if that makes sense. And one thing I learned with him, we did a whole week on that of just really learning to respect your own sexuality in a different level. So I think self-pleasure is linked a lot to like anything in life. It's how are you doing it? How are you approaching it? Is it mindless? Are you doing it? This is the big one is, is this simply a a case where I want to just please myself and I deserve it? Or are you doing it to escape an emotion? Because I would do it to escape emotions. So now I'm using that rather than dealing with reality. So I just think, you know, again, I'm going to segue it all the way back after that tangent is that a lot of times I tend to go from slave of the white dragon, warrior mode, to all of a sudden I need to counter that with, I need to please myself. I need to do things that are fun now. And then I overindulge in that. So yeah, I think that that's a, that's a big one. You know, we've talked about how a lot of times passive and active shadows within the archetype will ping pong. Well, it works the other way too, where you can kind of ping pong because I've been driving and working so hard then I go all the way to the other inflated shadow of another archetype mm. to, to try and balance out that. So I think that's a whole other kind of thing that, that tends to happen. But um, Fascinating, yeah. But yeah, I, I just think the masochist is the quintessential deflation archetype. You're just, you're talking a lot of crap and you're not doing anything about it. When I think about the masochist myself, I think about, I think about a lot of, st- a lot of stuff. I think the first thing that comes to mind is this statistic that I was reading about sh- uh, shame responses. The most common shame response in men is perceived weakness. And the most common shame response in women is body image. But what's really interesting is, you know, being a man, I don't actually feel shame about being weak. I always found my individuality as my strength as opposed to like actual physical strength. Um, I just, I just had a really quick thought about Twitch again. And this idea that, you know, maybe that's also part of it is he wasn't given permission to feel what he needs to feel like maybe his parents, I don't know, you know what I mean? But I think you just touched on something important too, that can lead to the masochism of the warrior and also maybe suicidal thoughts or things like that is this fact that you just don't have or feel like your feelings matter or that you're allowed to feel them. Yeah. People, people have an expectation maybe for him to be a certain way all the time. And whenever he tried to express himself, maybe it was just kind of like, Oh, Twitch, whatever, you know, you're such a funny guy and he's actually trying to reach out. I'm only using him as an example and I may not be the case, but, um, permission. I know. Right. Uh, um, yeah, for, for me growing up in, my dance world, I had a dance teacher who I was talking about who I think really had this schadenfreude mindset, maybe didn't believe that uh, she was worthy of her own joy, probably had a lot of built up resentment because I have this memory way back in the day of, uh, you know, she's she's teaching me a choreography to a step and she takes this moment to be like, so Luke, why do you dance? Like, why are you dancing? And I said, because I have fun doing it. And then she said, but you also want to win, right? You want to win too, right? Win, winning's fun. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's fun. And suddenly the seed got planted in my head like, oh, is that how I should be having fun? And so I think maybe there is a bit of resentment on her end. The masochist really like sprouted when she decided to one day gather all of my other classmates and I uh, into a circle and she went around the circle asking everyone what's three things that you need to work on everyone had something acceptable and then she finally came to me where you know i was practicing in my head some of the things that i was going to say and for some reason they weren't good enough so she said try again i'm like okay um and so i thought of two other things at least and i told her like i don't know what else i could say and she says 
she looks around my class and she asks everyone, do you know what I'm thinking? And a few people started nodding their head. They're like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're thinking. And uh, then she looks at me and she says, I'm going to give you a hint. It starts with an E. And so I'm there thinking like, hmm, okay. <laughs> um, desperate for the answer, I just said, enthusiasm? And she's like, well, I don't know. Do you need to work on your enthusiasm? I'm like, I, I don't think so. And she's like, well, that's not it. Okay. Um, I don't know. So then she looks around and she's like, okay, everyone say it at the same time. And uh, they all say energy. I need to work on my energy. And uh, what she really meant was like stamina and endurance. And um, I said, oh, okay. And then she's like, how many carbs do you eat, Luke? How many carbs do you eat a day? I'm like, what, what do you mean? I don't count. What? what? How old are you again? 11. <laughs> and she goes to another student. She's like, how many carbs do you eat? And uh, she gives a number like four or two. And she's like, great, excellent. How many carbs do you eat, Luke? I'm like, I don't know, 12. And she's like, 12? What? No, you should be eating like one or two carbs a day because you need to be losing like 15 more pounds. And from that moment on, I created this link in my head realizing that First of all, to have fun in Irish dance, I need to win. In order to win, I need to lose 15 more pounds. I have 15 extra pounds on my body, therefore I will not win. And I started creating a lot of links towards my body image and my shame. And so what's really interesting is that, you know, even though statistically speaking, it's women who usually feel a lot of shame about their body image, I have developed a huge shame response towards my body image. This is why when I was doing this work, I realized that my masochist is a female shadow. And it, everything just started making sense when I started looking at this shadow through a female perspective. Lots of that self-hatred, lots of that dissatisfaction towards how I look. And yeah, it really created also links to my sexuality as well. And how I feel as though I'm not deserving of love because I don't look like a champion. I don't look like someone who deserves joy. There's a lot of awful connections. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is a big one for me. <laughs> I ended up discovering through the work with Alexander, I discovered that I had a, one of my main shadows was, was an inner bully. Mm. And I think he was my warrior th that had been put into shadow. And that's how he was he was coming back out is he was coming back out as this amalgamation of all the different times that I was bullied or told I wasn't tall enough as the other boys wasn't big enough mm. as the other boys. And, you know, I, I mean, I was, I was teased a lot. I was bullied a lot. And again, not having a real strong male role model in my life, like, like bless you dad. Um, but I just really didn't, I didn't have a strong male role model growing up, whether it was, teachers, peers, you know, anything around me. And, and I think, yeah, I used to just get picked on a lot. And what ended up happening as I got older is that inner bully just became this inner voice that would constantly beat me up. Yeah. Even to this day, I got to watch out for that shadow warrior of coming out and beating me up and telling me all the things that, you know, I'm not good enough and I'm not man enough. And you know, I even remember my last relationship before this one, I struggled a lot with masculinity and I struggled a lot with just not being man enough for my ex in that sense. Like maybe she need, needed to be with somebody else that was just more in that energy. You know, there's some truth in the sense that I think I, I, I was lacking and I needed to tap into that centeredness of my king and that courage of my warrior than I, than I had been. But at the same time, I also learned to embrace the fact that, you know, it's okay that maybe I'm more in touch with my feminine energy more often than my masculine. It's not a bad thing. I think it's just being aware of not allowing that feminine energy, that the more, you know, passive energy of the yin yang to, yeah. to consume me and, and make sure that I do take strong action. I understand that I have a voice that's worth hearing. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that goes back to, we've talked about that story where my mom used to always tell me I was too loud. And, you know, I think that's why I went into acting. I was able to speak. I had to speak to the back of the room. It was the easiest thing for me to do. I remember in acting school, so many of the fellow actors would always have a problem reaching the back seats 
like yeah. the director of the show would be like, you got to reach that person in the back. So you need to project. All of a sudden I was given permission to use my voice in the way that I was never allowed to, right? So it's really interesting how these things all inter interject and, and play with one another. But I think, uh, you know, we'll get we'll get to that, I guess, in a minute with the, the sadist. Because I certainly spend more time in that energy, I think, than the masochist now. And it is it is that inner bully that comes in sometimes and tells me, it's not good enough. Keep going. It's not good enough. Not good enough. Not good enough. Like, that's the thing. It's it's a, yeah, that's fine and dandy, but you know what? That's not going to get you there. Or, you know, just judging and doing that. Taking on the role of those, those kids that used to just relentlessly pick on me, mm. you know? Yeah, I, I went through I went through the ringer as a kid. I remember a couple of instances where I exploded. I, I gave one kid whiplash. Oh wow! You know, yeah, these two these two kids were they were bugging me and bugging me and bugging me on the school uh, the schoolyard, and uh, I remember just exploding in a fit of tears and rage. And I grabbed this one of them in a headlock, and I wouldn't let go. I was flinging him around, screaming like "Leave me alone! Leave me alone!" and like he's freaking out and. Yeah, he had, he had a neck brace on the next day, and uh, he wanted to fight after school, and I chickened out. Yeah, because I didn't really, I didn't really want to fight. It was just in that moment, I think the I had to defend myself. Yeah, just kind of lost it in that moment. And then there was another instance, and I'm not proud of this moment, but it, it did shape a huge part of who I am. We were playing tackle basketball in the snow. It was just something we created where, uh, you know, you just, there's no dribbling and you're trying to get it, but you can tackle the guy with the ball. And it was a lot of fun. Even being a little guy, I was, I, I held my own pretty good. That's one thing I've learned over the years. I might've been a little, little runt, but I had a bit of warrior spirit in me, but it just, it just kept getting squashed. So I remember we were playing and I was at that moment where I was playing really well and I was really happy and I was really proud of, I hear I was tackling with the biggest of the guys and uh, fitting in mm -hmm. and the, the ball got away. It went into the underground and there was like three girls uh, standing there and this one girl and she was a big girl. Like she was one of the tallest girls in, in school. This is, we're talking grade three or four, I think. And she stuck her foot out and tripped me and I went face first into the cement and everybody was laughing and I stood up and I decked her in the face as hard as I could. Wow. Not proud of it because as anyone knows, never hit a woman, but not trying to excuse it. But in that moment, she's like a good foot and a half taller than I am. She's bigger than I am. Uh, I really hit my face hard on the cement and I was in shame. I was in a, a very deep moment of absolute vulnerable shame, right in a moment where I was proving myself as a warrior. You know, again, not, not a proud moment. But I, I'm able to go back and forgive the boy because I understand what pain he felt in that moment. But I think there's still a bit of shame that like, you know, I take a lot of pride in my life about being a good human being. And I, I, I don't talk about it often, but there's that really one big blemish where I, I struck a woman. Um, yeah, we were kids, right? But yeah, I, uh, I'll never forget that. And I think that's another part of my experience with warrior archetype and and i think that was another example of what what can happen if you suppress that energy and you just keep taking the hits and taking the hits eventually what's going to happen is you're going to explode and you're going to lose your cool because what you're what you're doing is you're you're not allowing the healthy expression of that that warrior to come into light so it sounds like when you said that energy if, i feel like what we're alluding to is uh anger when we suppress that anger which is the, the warrior gateway emotion is anger and yeah. it's about that's why a healthy warrior works out on his body and and does things that are challenging because you can channel your anger i mean there's nothing like channeling your anger by lifting some weights right or doing something like a high intensity interval training because it does it's it is it's therapy screaming into a pillow sometimes is a great way to just you got to let some of that that pent up anger out yeah you know, and, and anger is viewed as such a negative emotion and it, and it can be, but it's, it's like any other part of the human condition. It's a shade of emotion that we're, we're gifted with, mm -hmm. but we, we need to know how to express it in a healthy, more productive way. I mean, I think a lot of times anger has really fueled my career mm -hmm. in a, in a positive way. Sometimes not, but a lot of times it's that, oh, okay. You don't think I can do this? F you, man. I'm going to do this. And you watch me go. Yeah. 
in a, in a way that can be healthy to get you started. But if that ends up becoming the through line for everything you do, that's toxic, right? I'm more, I'm far more connected to sadist than I am masochist for sure. Mm. And I, I feel like I don't even need to ask who's the sadist. Cause I feel like we've been just talking about it, but yeah, anger. That's a big one. What I really enjoyed about doing this work is taking a moment to really appreciate anger and its effectiveness and what it is used for in our lives. For me, I would suppress my sadist shadow a lot because I have witnessed anger getting really, really bad in my life. And uh, I'm afraid of how bad it can get. But anger is there to tell us when a line has been crossed. Anger is our alarm system that informs us of when someone's breached our boundaries. I think uh, in, in the self-help world, in the psychology world and counseling world, there's so much talk about, you know, boundaries and setting up healthy boundaries and limits. And I think sometimes what gets lost is recognizing how do you know when you have a boundary? That was a big moment for me doing this work is when you get angry, when something kind of pisses you off a little bit. You feel it in your body. That's the connection with the warrior is that your body will know when the boundary has been crossed. You feel it. It's not just a, a mental thing. Your body chemistry will feel. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the real challenge is in that moment is it's your warrior that needs to immediately defend that boundary appropriately to the circumstance. If you don't, what's going to happen is another archetype, I believe, will then express that frustration in a different way, probably a passive aggressive way. Like later on, you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to get back at that person for saying that. Unconsciously, even it happens. If it's necessary and required, if you don't defend that boundary that's been crossed, when in the moment you feel it, it's going to store in your body and it's going to come out in an unhealthy way. It might even be less against somebody else. And you might be frustrated in your own space and do something stupid, yeah. right? But yeah. Yeah, no, for me, it's if I don't say anything, I feel like that's the masochistic shadow taking over being like, yes, internalize it, hate yourself, be angry at yourself instead, whereas the sadist is be angry at the other person, where the healthy warrior is the one who's able to find that balance of like, I'm not going to hate myself or feel a lot of anger to myself, but I need to tell you that was not okay. It's also, I think maybe it could be more king, but I think it is the part of us that is afraid of what other people will think. Absolutely. But there was, um, I was going to say too, with sadist, um, the sadist shadow detaches from emotion mm. and, and human relationships. So it's the man who's married to his job or the person who's married to their job. They don't have time to be intimate. They don't have time for that. Everything is work-related. It's connected to workaholism. They disdain the weak and the vulnerable. So they'll look down upon those people that are all touchy-feely or in touch with their emotions, right? It's the alpha male right? that is just like, oh, if you cry, you're a weakling, right? It's that kind of vibe. Yeah, they'll choose work over health and family. Uh, work is a distraction. We kind of touched on that earlier. Um, and then when they do reach the top, they're lonely. Mm. When they when they finally get there, it's they, that's when they kind of come to this realization of, well, that's, yeah, I made it to where I wanted to, but now I'm lonely. And the thing real quick for me where it turns up the most, this sadist energy is righteous anger is where I really feel that ferocity that like, it's like, no, I'm right, you're wrong. And like, I get frustrated and angry about that person's opinion. And it's okay to disagree, but it's that it's this feeling of just, it's, it's an energy of righteousness. And of course, as I've mentioned, I overwork a lot or I'll overtrain. This is a big one. Uh, speaking of shame in the body, again, because I was bullied and teased for being too skinny. Then as I got older, I clued into the fact that, well, I got to get big and muscular, A, to be more masculine and manly, B, to get more, more women, more girls, and also to prove myself. And also, I think, cover up the, the skinny, weak, vulnerable little kid. Mm. And, and, and I, I hated that little kid because he got bullied so much. I'm like, no more. Uh, and it was through the work with Alexander and doing this work that I realized that, no, man, I, I got to love that little kid, man. He had, he had so much going for him and he got squished and squashed like we talked about, right? So yeah, so a lot of times my sadist turns into more self-punishment, I think for me, rather than verbally slinging arrows at others, I think it turns into much more of my sadist picks on me rather than picks on others. Oh. He just... He, 
Yeah, he he goes into he goes into that real um, sadistic energy against myself. Uh, and a lot of times, I'll never rest or enjoy life until I until my task is done perfectly, which is never going to happen. That's interesting. I I always viewed that internal anger towards yourself as the masochist. So that's really interesting. That's why I always envisioned the masochist being this amorphous thing taken over my whole psyche that changes things up a little bit for me. That maybe there is a, a duality of both of them at play, even though I don't outwardly show a lot of anger and uh, frustration like that because I'm just so afraid of what I've seen in my past. Yeah. See, and the difference is, is that the reason why I feel like it's for me, it's sadist more than masochist is because when that bully comes out and beats myself up, I don't slip into victim. I don't then go, oh yeah, you're right. I'm such a loser. Like I don't go into that dialogue. It's just literally this part of myself that was once bullying me. It, like I said, it's almost like the sadist energy from another person. It's just manifesting now in myself mm. and I'm, bully I'm bullying myself. The masochist doesn't have the energy to bully myself. Mm, interesting. The masochist, the, the masochist is defeated and weak and vulnerable and all of that stuff. But it's almost as if that sadist in me is there to push me to not be the masochist. Mm. Don't be that weak piece of crap. Keep going. Push yourself. Remember how much it sucked yeah. when you were the masochist and people made fun of you and you took it? Don't take it. Don't take it anymore, man. Push. And the way you're going to get people's respect is by working harder, achieving more, getting more accolades. So you got to go, go, go. Right. You know, again, it's interesting as we unpack all of this, it's never black and white, but you know, that could also be an inner tyrant as well. Wow. That's, that's pushing me forward, which is why I like having these conversations because I think it is far more nuanced when you start to get into a lot of this stuff. And which shadow is it really playing out? Which one is really doing the dirty deeds? Mm -hmm. Self-deprecation? Yeah, I guess, I guess in that sense, you're right. If you look at it, it's more masochism than yeah. sadism, right? No, it's uh, something to think about. But it's um, I, I do get this feeling, like I said, too, where I to give my warrior and magician a day off and allow my lover and king to enjoy life it's almost like there is a fear that my world will crumble if i if i'm not always on charge yeah. charge charge move forward the warrior i think is my most interesting archetype because i think i've had a lot of it in shadow in the past and i've through personal training and through exercise and through a lot of things i've learned how to channel it more healthy i definitely don't fear going after what i want mm -hmm. I, i'm pretty good at that however i do still suffer a lot from the masochism the doormat the, uh, the people pleaser it's a big one for me to try and root out this avoiding confrontation and wanting everybody to like me not wanting to ruffle feathers so that's a you know that's it's interesting so i feel like on one side of the scope, more than any other archetype, I can dance between the two extremes, I think, a lot. You know, my warriors had to become stronger over the years because of the bullying, I think, too. And that might be why, again, it's it's manifested into this, what I call the sadist bully in me, where it's like, you want to get made fun of again, do you? Yeah. So you better be perfect and you better keep working hard or someone's going to come along and pull the rug out from under you. So you better just be relentless and then push for it. And I think when I spend too much time in that energy, that is where the little boy hits this moment, not even so much where he feels bullied, but he just feels this tiredness and this exhaustion of like, why are you doing this to yourself? Mm -hmm. Like my little, my little boy just says, why are you doing that? So you're not being very nice to yourself. And he feels kind of sad. And then that's why I feel like crying for no reason is because of the fact that I've been beating myself up. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I do remember you were mentioning something about the being victim to the white dragon. Well, what is what does that mean? That was taught to me by one of my guests, Sasha Wagner. Uh, he's part of the hero tribe and he talked about in uh, Bhutan mm -hmm. culture in China. I think it's the five elements, five or six elements. And, and one of them is the, the white dragon is the element of metal. 
Mm. And it's, it's the idea of the white dragon represents discipline and focus. And when you become a slave to the white dragon, it's the danger of over-discipline. And this, we touched on this a little bit earlier. And this is where I see a lot of overactive, I think, overactive warriors in the world. I and mean, I just kind of talked about it a bit myself. I think slaving the white dragon, like the discipline around my career and driving forward and not taking enough time out for the lover to play. To me, Slave of the White Dragon, it's the person that is obsessed about anything, whether it's healthy or unhealthy. Mm. And they will do anything to not break whatever that contract they have with themselves is. If it's calorie counting, it's absolutely, I must train six out of seven days a week. Uh, I have to push myself relentlessly at the gym or whatever that is. It's when that discipline interferes with the enjoyment of life. It's a person who it's like they go to a party. I had one guest on my show once. He talked about that. He had body image issues and he got all into personal training and things like that. And he went to a party where he had to have his Tupperware case of his exact macros, like his little mm. pre-prep chick chicken dinner. Like he couldn't eat what they were eating. And to me, that is slave of the white dragon. Like, so what if that one day he ends up having what they're eating? Like, you'll get back on track. You can have your chicken dinner tomorrow. I think that's where this comes in. And I'll be honest, I, I'm very passionate about it because I've been in the fitness industry also for a long time. And I think even with some of the most well-intentioned trainers, there's a lot of toxicity in the, in the health and wellness industry. I think it is built on guilt. I think it is built on shame. The idea of even using language like a cheat meal uh, that says everything you need to know about it. Mm -hmm. Why are you labeling it a cheat meal? Like you're being dishonest about your life. You're cheating on being a slave to the white dragon rather than saying, I'm going to have a treat meal. I'm going to actually reward like it should be a reward. The entire culture of the gym is really uh, and again, gym is really linked to warrior because the warrior needs good nutrition. You just need to take care of your body. But it's also having a balance of gentle movement versus aggressive movement so it's it's yoga and tai chi mixed with the aggressive stuff like that's truly loving your body and i think you might think you're loving your body by going to the gym six days a week and eating healthy all the time like over healthy like counting every calorie you might think of that as being healthy but i'm sorry i after years of doing it because i've been on every, either extreme it is not good for you mm. because that is self-punishment i don't care how much you love fitness i don't care how much you love anything in life if you can't walk away from w whatever it is for one week, you are attached to it mm. and you, and, and you over identify with it because now your identity is being that trainer. It's being this healthy person. I don't care what it is. You know what? I could even challenge myself with that right now. I've been doing so much work on this archetype stuff. There's a danger in that becoming embedded too much in my identity. A good challenge for me would be to walk away and not read, look, or think about archetypes for a week. <laughs> no just as a just a, just as a check-in and like that there are other things yeah in life so it's 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 important to be passionate about what you do it's important to pursue those things what kills me is this whole it's always lose weight get less fat lose weight get less fat why are we not focusing on losing that big shadow bag obese shadow bag that our safety officer is carrying so heavily why are we not lessening the ad at the same time. And when we lessen that bag, then we will feel less need. Because I think a lot of what people turn to health and fitness is it's healthy on one hand, because it is a good channel. But there's a danger in then using that like you would any other drug to cover up a lot of times a body image issue. It's a big one. Mm -hmm. Right? Even now, I still sometimes when I start lifting weights and get a little bigger, any danger of getting skinnier? Oh, it's like I get anxiety about it because I'm like, I don't want to be that skinny kid. I want to be that skinny kid. So I just think a lot of times with working out, yeah, man, it's really connecting to that um, healthy energy. And this this slave of the white dragon is out there a lot more than, I, let me put it this way. I think it's a lot easier, maybe not, but it might be a lot easier to admit you have a bad problem than you have a, a good bad problem. Yeah. And saying that like, you know what? Like I've seen it in the industry all the time. Like guys that just, they can't miss a workout or like they go on vacation and they work out every day. It's like they can't let go. Like where's that line? 
Mm. Right. I don't, I don't want to also judge too much and take away from them because maybe it is all truly coming from a healthy place of just passion for what they do. Right. But I just, I still question, like, if you can't walk away from whatever it is for one week, you're over identifying with it. Like you're over dosing on whatever that is. And, and, uh, addictions come in all forms, especially if they are being used to cover up any kind of wound. And I think a lot of fitness wounds come from low self-esteem. Uh, and body image issues. Those are the two big ones we turn to. It's great. Turn to exercise to raise your self-esteem. Absolutely. But if you're doing it to look better, to raise your self-esteem and you haven't healed the wound inside, you're still going to have problems. You know what I mean by that? Like, absolutely. It's important to change the physical body and help that to increase your self-esteem. I'm not against that, but that's what I did, Luke. I tried to heal a wounded skinny little kid by getting bigger on the outside. And all that did is it acted as a, as a false armor mm. for a deep problem. And it really wasn't until I, I worked on this stuff and I realized and I healed that part of myself and learned to love my body no matter what, that I was able to let that go. And now I'm, I'm able to get bigger and enjoy the process. It, it's less self-punishment. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's a lot of that in the industry that people aren't talking about. And, and these are the people that are pushing it on other wounded people. And that's why I'm like, inner gym, baby. It's all important. All of it. You need mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual balance. You need all of it. And that's where the archetypes work the most is I think that each of them contribute to those energies in a different way, some more than others. And it provides a way of really assessing your life of, yeah, where am I just overkill with the warrior? Right. Uh, an archetypal weekly check-in, really, when you think about it, you can kind of go, oh, shit, man, I really let that lover run loose, man. I was, yeah, let's reel that in. So, yeah, that's that's the slave of the white dragon in a nutshell. But ever since I heard that from Sasha, I was like, what a powerful concept. I, I know you're probably ready to wrap up. And if you have any thoughts on that, that's cool. But there was one last thing I wanted to share with you. Yeah, go for it. This is something to think about with the archetypes if people are interested in working on them. Robert Moore talks about it. This is from psychology. I'm not sure where it exactly originated, but have you ever heard of this idea of uh, the competence phases? Oh, I think so. Tell me more though. Four stages of competence. And I think you apply this to any skill in life is essentially what it is. But I want you to think of it in archetypal for when I say this right now. But one of them is you start with unconscious incompetence. Okay which is basically like in the archetypal sense, it's like, these are the people that are walking around the world and they have no idea why they act this way, why they do that. Like they're not conscious. They're unconsciously incompetent. Right. The next phase is conscious incompetence. Mm. So now you realize you're incompetent. Now you realize, oh, that's why I do this. That's why I do that. That's what's wrong in my life. So now you're becoming aware. Magicians starting to become aware of these problems. Then you go into the next phase, which is conscious competence which is the goal I think most of us need to get to is you're just, you're able to see these strengths and these weaknesses and you're able to navigate them. You're consciously competent. And then the final one is unconscious competence. Mm. So that would be when you are learning a skill. It's like the piano player that doesn't think about what he doesn't have to think about anymore. He's unconsciously playing it. Now with archetypes, that's virtually, uh, it's almost impossible to really be constantly in that state of unconscious competence, which is why I say conscious competence is probably the more realistic, consistent goal, which is I think where people that have done this work are at that stage. Mm. Every so often though, the more we work on this, it is like going to an inner gym of archetypes. The more we do work on it and the more we have these conversations, the more that we can achieve unconscious Mm. competence where our king just knows when to step in. Our warrior knows when to... Yeah. Boundary, boundary time or when to drop the armor and go, I love you and be lover. Like, so it, it can be more automatic, but I've been wanting to bring it up for a while with you. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things it comes up in a lot of Robert Moore's lectures, but I think with skills, I think it applies to just in general where your, your spiritual and personal development level is at. And it is bringing people from unconscious incompetence, I think to conscious competence. Wow. Even though unconscious competence is the higher goal, I think at this point, it, it's really about, you know, and you can go back to the warrior where I think the second stage, when you go into conscious incompetence, a lot of times people are stuck there too, because mm. they, they're aware of the problems, but they're not doing anything about it. Right. Right. It's like, I know I need to quit my job. I know I should do this, but I don't have enough warrior in me 
to actually become consciously competent. So it's something to think about moving forward with this work. But I find uh, ever since Robert Moore brought it up, and it took me a while to get it because it's, it's a lot of conscious, unconscious, and competently stuff going on in there. You're like, wait a minute, which one is which? What's the order? <laughs> yeah. Once you can't, once you get those four stages, is like it makes a lot of sense. Wow. And it's pretty. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. That's yeah. And what we're doing essentially right now is we're having a very consciously competent converse, conversation about these things with a desire to make them unconscious competence. We want to get to that point where it's more natural. We don't have to think in the moment as much where our energies know when to play out and how, how to communicate correctly. But it's, it's a challenge. Absolutely. Jeez, I, uh, I'll admit, I did not think that our conversation was going to end up like this, but I'm really glad it did. So thank you so much. It's another good one. I know. I just, I, uh, I like to plan my conversations out, but they almost never go as to plan. It's funny how the magician one pretty much did go to plan because that's the magician. But the, the warrior really wanted to tap into a lot of other things. And I'm just really grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always. And I'm learning so much in this process. I'm enjoying it so much because I'm reviewing my shadows. I'm going back to my workbooks. The things I discovered this week with the warrior were just really profound and really cool. And I just see him and that energy in such a different. Now there's a whole other layer to what the warrior is all about. And yeah, plans are, are, are made to be broken in the sense that even when I ever do a podcast, I, you know, I have notes and things, but once you just kind of allow it to, to go the way it's going to go, you'll get most of your thoughts that you wanted. They just out, but they just come out in ways that you didn't intend. So. But yeah, next week is Lover, so it'll be really interesting to... I actually think that, you know, little prologue preview, but uh, there's another one for me that I think there's parts of myself that I've really squished. Mm -hmm. I, I've squished my healthy lover, I think, in favor of some of these other energies. Well, we can talk about that next week because I think I spent most of my youth in lover energy. I'm eager to learn more. Yeah, thanks so much, Scott, for joining me for this conversation. Round two, already done. What the heck? Ah. <laughs> Brambling. We did. We brambled, and we brambled and brambled. It was a bramble-a-thon today. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I love it. Well, um, yeah, is there any other thing you want to just end off with? I feel like that was pretty much it, but... Uh, I think the only other thing I would say is that you know, if you are really depressed and you really are stuck mm. in that masochist mode, mm. you matter. I love that. You matter. And, and you, you have a voice that needs to be heard, regardless of what you might think. Uh, always have the courage to speak your truth. Life is too short to live in fear and, and be a worrier. So I just think, you know, in light of like Twitch, in light of, you know, suicide itself, Last week, we were talking about Mr. Keating, who's played by Robin Williams, who did something similar as well. So yeah, I just I, I just think really at the end of the day, and I know it's it's hard. I've been to some really dark places, not to that degree. But man, I've had those moments and, and it is scary. It's hard because you feel like in your depression and in your loneliness, nobody's going to get it. Nobody's going to get you. I think that's why a lot of times when I was that way, I didn't reach out because mm. there's just so many things going through your mind, but just know and realize that you, it, it's important to do it. Y even if you feel like nobody's going to care or nobody's going to listen, reach out. There's always somebody that yeah. is going to, to listen and, and hold space for you. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'll catch you next week. You bet. Yay. Wow, two archetypes done and two more to go. I can't believe it, but we are already in uh, the halfway point of our eight-week journey with Scott Harris talking about the four masculine archetypes. Wow. I want to just take a minute to thank Scott for agreeing to have this journey with me and recording these conversations with me. I am so grateful, and some of the stuff we're getting into is just, I don't know, I think only the archetypes can really facilitate this. Next week, however, we are going to be heading into the lover archetype. Ooh, yeah, 
uh, I know I've given you all a, a warning pretty much about these conversations that it is going to be vulnerable and hard. Lover is no exception. In fact, I feel like it might be even harder than the warrior. Really, truly, it's going to be uh, a lot about death and grief. And yeah, strap in because uh, every time I re-listen to this conversation, I cry hard, very hard. One of the paradoxes about the lover archetype is that it is all about tasting the sweetness that life can bring you and really, really enjoying it. But the uh, the paradox of it is in order to do that, you really need to think about all the things that make you feel sad and grief. It is complicated and strange, and we're going to get into that a little bit more next week. But to shift gears just a little bit, I want to do a little bit of a shout out to uh, my friend Hostess Misaki. She is a Twitch streamer, and uh, she also does um, lots of singing with her uh, her group, her idol group. And um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out because she created the new logo to the Dear Brambling podcast. If you want to check out Hostess Misaki, I'm going to leave her Twitch down in the show notes below. That is also a great hub for all of her other social media links there. So you can definitely check her out. Maybe uh, one day you can commission her as well and uh, ask for some really uh, cute art from her because uh, I've been really enjoying this new logo. It's like the, the Krabby is blowing a big bubble that says Dear Brambling Podcast. I love it. I think it's so cute. Um, but yeah, and um, to Brambling, just know that I love you so much. And, you know, it can be really hard growing up in this world as a man because uh when men show anger, I think there's this stereotype and the stigma that it can be so violent and horrendous and uncontrollable. And maybe sometimes that's true. And maybe sometimes we want it to be true. And when we're told that we need to suppress our anger, sometimes we instead turn the sword onto ourselves. I just want you to know that as your uncle, I want to see you for who you are 100% and that I want, I want you to reach out if you ever hear this and you're feeling so angry. Call me. I don't know. Reach out in some way and just know that I will not try to make things better, but I will hold that space for you and you can scream until your voice is hoarse with me if that is what you need to do i will not be your punching bag i will not let you walk all over me but if you are feeling like the sword is being turned on yourself please know that there are so many people that love you so 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 deeply i mean frick i've made a whole podcast dedicated to you where I just talk into my mic and I pretend that you're listening and that you're right there and it helps me realize that you know you, you mean a lot to me you really do so with some tears in my eyes I just want to say that uh, you know take care of yourself everyone please Take care of yourself. Find a way to let out that anger and protect your garden. Protect yourself. Protect your kingdom. It is so vulnerable being a healthy warrior, but you know, it's so important. It is so important. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions, as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Lucatronosaurus Rex. 
And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you. 